Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. The Oregon Healthcare Interpreters Association is pleased to announce the launch of its new interpreter directory. Join OHCIA's interpreter directory and be ready for what's next. The interpretation industry is changing. Laws are being passed that require more certification. More and more interpretation is going remote with video or phone. Machine interpretation is getting better and better. Plus, Companies are cutting costs for services like interpretation. If you aren't certified, don't want to use technology, don't have special skills, and don't have the ability to be flexible, you'll get less and less work as an interpreter. The OHCIA's Interpreter Directory, or ID, can help. It brings together interpreters and the organizations that hire them so they can help each other provide much-needed interpretation services. The ID is free to all interpreters forever. It's paid for by subscription fees charged to hiring organizations. It lists trained, certified interpreters, so hiring organizations can trust the quality of the services offered. Interpreters can list specialties, availability, and more, so hiring organizations can easily find talent. OHCIA are the right people to bring interpreters and organizations together like never before. Their leadership has deep roots in the interpreter community and care deeply about where this industry is going. They have advocated for interpreters and healthcare interpretation since 2010, and they're trusted by individuals and organizations alike. To find out more about OHCIA's interpreter directory, check out the link in the episode notes. Welcome back, language professionals from around the world, to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host, and thank you for joining me on this second to the last episode of the season and of 2022. Can't believe I'm saying that, can you? Time flies when you're having fun. But the fun isn't quite over yet. I have one more episode, one special episode planned, as a matter of fact, for you just for the closing of this season before we start season six in 2023. So I hope that you join me next week for a special episode planned specifically just for you. I'd like to wish you a happy holiday that I hope you are surrounded by laughter and by loved ones and just by precious moments. I hope you really, really enjoy your holidays. And if you're taking a much needed vacation, and yes, staycations do count, Thank you for bringing me along the way, first and foremost. And secondly, I hope that you are able to relax and unwind and disconnect so that you may enjoy your downtime and recharge for all of the great things to come to you next year. But as far as today is concerned, let's tune in to today's language professional story. Razan Rumani is a medical interpreter who is also a trained remote simultaneous interpreter. And although Razan specializes in medical interpretation, she's also interpreted for lawyers, teachers, social workers, and even a psychologist in a correctional facility. 
Having been born and raised in the United States, she was born to a Syrian father and a Lebanese mother. Growing up as an Arab-American and hearing her family speak in both French and Arabic is what sparked her passion for interpretation and language learning. She attended the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where she obtained a master's degree in translation and interpretation studies. Razan also obtained a bachelor's degree in Spanish and pre-med from Southeast Missouri State University. She currently works as a freelance Spanish and Arabic interpreter and a Spanish translator. Her ultimate goal is to work as an Arabic to Spanish simultaneous interpreter. So, without further ado, please help me welcome Razan Rumani to the show. Razan, welcome to the show. So happy you're here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mireya. Uh, this is such a treat to to be here. Thank you so much. No, I'm I'm happy that we are able to have this conversation that I think is going to be pretty important for any new interpreters and even even upcoming interpreters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Happy to have you. Let's begin a little bit, Razan, if we will, by um going back in time just a bit. And you're quite young, so it's <laughs> too far into the past. And and tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what a fond childhood memory you have. Yeah, so I grew up um here in the US. Um my dad is from Syria um and my mother is from Lebanon. Um and as a kid, oftentimes um I would travel back to Syria um or Lebanon. Something I have is um quite a strong memory. Um when I was a kid, I remember, you know, because my mother's ha- you know, because my mother's Lebanese, I remember constantly hearing my mom's side of the family speak in French. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh, that's so beautiful. I, I wish I knew French. Um, and, and so that is something I, I think that is where my love um, for language learning really started um, with uh, as a child. When you were uh, going out and visit uh, your, your family's, uh, basically family, Mm-hmm. What what is a what is a memory that you have that you enjoyed that was different to your experience? Obviously, when you came back home to the U.S., that you could only experience there. Well, something that really struck me was a lot of cultural differences. Um, a lot of times, you know, when I went back to Lebanon, I would have to, I guess, readjust the way I think. And um, and when I came back to the U.S., it was kind of like a reverse culture shock. Um, I definitely um, had to readjust the way um, I acted, the way I thought, um, what I could say, what I couldn't say, um, because, you know, a lot of some things are culturally appropriate to say in the Arab world um, and the Arabic language and, and some things you probably don't want to say um, in the U.S. Um, and so I think it's well, you know, linguistically as well, because for three months out of the year, I would go back to Syria and Lebanon um, and I would, you know, it was only Arabic um, at that point. Um, and when I came back to the U.S., it was obviously back to English. So it was making that linguistic cultural change, I think. <laughs> Did you ever experience going out there that you weren't as fluent in the other language as maybe you would consider yourself like when you were around family. And I ask that only because I know that for us growing up, I never 
even considered that I wasn't bilingual until I would visit family in Mexico. Mm. And then and then I felt like I, I was not as fluent as I thought I was. Did you experience the same or no? I, I did. You know, it's funny. You know, that is the thing about growing up being bilingual. Um, you didn't grow up back in the motherland. Um, I didn't. And so, you know, vocabulary wise, you know, uh, of course, I was lacking a little bit, you know, even though I was conversational. Um, but, you know, just because and, and you know, and, and this is a common misconception of, well, why can't you have bilingual people become interpreters or why can't you have a relative interpret? Well, you know, just because you grew up speaking a language with mom and dad, that doesn't mean you're qualified to interpret in a medical setting, in a legal setting. And so terminology wise, yeah, I, in Arabic, of course, I was um, lacking in um, medical terminology and and some terminology that is only used in Syria. Um, you know, the ter- you know, the Arabic terminology used in Syria um, and Lebanon tend to be different. Um, it is the same dialect. However, the accent, the words that are used um, tend to be um, th- they are different. Interesting. Yes. I, I just thought about that because I know that um, that was an experience for me growing up. So I'm, I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something that stood out for you uh, as a child. So so bring us into your interest in languages. I know that you Mm -hmm. just mentioned that hearing your family speaking in French, you know, and 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 it intriguing you uh, just by hearing it. You didn't speak it right. You but you definitely enjoyed just the sound of another language in your most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. It was definitely ear candy to me. French is just so, so beautiful to me. You know, hearing different languages is, is definitely ear candy, I think. And that sparked an interest enough for you to study it, did it not? Oh, most definitely. You know, this was, <laughs> you know, pre-iPhone um, era. So, you know, me being, you know, I was a little geek. You know, I remember I would follow my aunt around with, you know, a paper and pencil. And be like, How do you say this in French? I, I need to learn so I can understand what you're saying to one another. And I'd be like, wait, how do you say mom? How do you say dad? How do you say grandma? And so um, it did develop into me um, teaching myself French as I grew older, you know, now with, you know, YouTube, Duolingo, podcasts, you know, now we have more sources available, I think, than when I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then in school, did you decide, okay, I'm going to take a language class, a foreign language class? And if so, what was that? What did you decide to jump into? Yeah. So in high school, you know, essentially one of the things they constantly told us was take a foreign language, any foreign language, it looks good on your college application. That is what was ingrained to us. You you have a higher possibility of getting into college, of standing out if you take a foreign language. And so my idea was, okay, I'll take a couple years because it looks good. That was my ideology um, at that point. And my intention was to actually take French. Um, and to me, that made sense because I was like, well, it makes sense because I want to understand my family. And it makes right. sense, you know. <laughs> so to me, that was the logical choice. Um, but, you know, when I was filling out, you know, the forms and when I, what classes I wanted to take, I, you know, I began to think, well, I am in the U.S. Spanish is more common in the U.S. And so I ended up, um, even though I wanted French, I ended up actually taking Spanish. Really? I did. Uh, I, I ended up taking four years of Spanish in high school. Um, and then when I got to college, I was like, you know, I I, I spent four years studying this language. Um, I might as well continue. Why lose it? And so, you know, it was this why not kind of attitude. Um, so I started off college, um, well, actually being a Spanish minor. Um, and I remember a counselor told me, the difference between a Spanish minor and a Spanish major is so little, you might as well get a degree out of it. <laughs> and I was like, she's right. It's only a couple classes away. Why not get a degree out of it? You know, I'm already, st- I'm already here. 
Um, and I, and I did end up getting a, um, a Spanish degree. You know, you mentioned that you're growing up and you're being exposed to the French language and you're wanting to understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you hear it all the time. I, I imagine then what were you thinking as you're learning the classroom Spanish, uh, I call it, right? The, 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 the Spanish that is not conversational. What were you doing so that you would arm yourself in something that was more real world as opposed to just the classroom setting? Were you do, doing anything outside of the classroom to enhance your language speaking ability? Yeah. So um, at first I took the class just to take the class, just to get an A, just to get, you know, I wasn't really um, into it at first, I would say. But but as time went on, I, I began to think like, wow, this is a really beautiful language. This is a really beautiful language. And I remember um, I, I remember there was an experience where I, I saw this older lady who was trying to tell me something. Um, and, and I can tell by the way she was hesitating and she, she said maybe a word in Spanish. And I was in, you know, in Spanish too, you know, at the time I didn't speak Spanish well at all. But, you know, with my, with the limited Spanish, I knew I was able to communicate and ask her um, what, what she needed. And, you know, I think it was after that experience to where I, I started to take it a lot more seriously because it did begin, it did really begin to become useful to me. Um, we had a couple of foreign exchange students um, from Spain and we had another foreign exchange student from Mexico and being able to talk to them and, and tell them what I learned and being able to, you know, I, I was, I guess, conversational at the time. It was still pretty broken. Um, but, you know, having that conversation with them and them responding to me in Spanish, you know, it, it began to bring me joy that I was able to. Um, it, it really opened my eyes to a completely different world. Um, and it did bring me a lot of joy. Yeah, no, I imagine. I mean, I've heard of of other individuals as well. Once they make that connection, that bridge, if you will, into mm -hmm. the other language, which means uh, inevitably that you make that crossover into another world, like you said. And so it's it, mm -hmm. it just gives you a different angle about different things out there, right? Most definitely. You at this point, however, or maybe maybe you did didn't realize that this was a, a profession that you could use the no. language ability <laughs> in a profession. Not no. yet. Right. Okay. So Not what were yet. you thinking? You're doing schooling. You, you did major in Spanish. Yeah. But what were yeah. your thoughts in terms of career wise at this point? Yeah. So ever since I was very little, I've, I, I've always wanted to, I, I've always wanted to become a doctor. And, and, you know, in high school, I remember really liking anatomy and physiology. And that is initially what I went to college for. Um, when it was time to pick, you know, what I wanted to major in, you know, pre-med seemed to be the logical uh, choice. Um, but little by little, I began to realize, you know, even though I enjoyed medicine, the journey of becoming a doctor just, it, it didn't bring me joy. It, it, I, I, it just didn't bring me joy. Um, I remember, and I used to watch these um, medical blogs, you know, these like, oh, day in the life of a med student. And I remember, uh, I remember one of the med students saying, if you want to know if med school is right for you, um, then imagine you got a letter of acceptance and how would you react? And in my mind, I was like, I mean, yeah, you know, I'd be happy and relieved I got accepted, but I would just want that four years of my life to to just be over. I would want to fast forward to the part where I was a doctor. I, I didn't want to go through it. 
um, essentially. And people began to tell me, well, time will eventually pass. You'll eventually become a doctor. This is a temporary uh, phase of life. And my answer to that was, I mean, yes, you know, time will, you know, obviously eventually pass, but four to eight years is a very long time to wait for something to be over. It's a very long time to be unhappy. Um, and I just made the decision right then and there that if I were to become a professional of whatever kind, of whatever sort, I would want to enjoy that journey. I want to enjoy the journey of becoming whatever professional. I don't want to sit there and count down the days to graduation. I wanted to enjoy the process. Um, and I remember, you know, the first year of college, um, we had a speaker come to, um, to our university. Um, and her name was Sharon. I, I still remember her quite vividly. Um, and she became, um, you know, in her thirties, she began to suddenly see blurry. You know, she woke up one day and she couldn't, she started to see a little blurry and she couldn't see as well as she usually did. Um, and she went to the eye doctor and she found out that she unfortunately had a progressive eye disease. And she found this out at the age of 30 and that she was going to eventually lose her eyesight. Um, this was a progressive illness and there wasn't much they can do for her. Um, and at that point, she was looking for purpose. She was looking for just an outlet in life. She didn't want to sit there and boohoo and, you know, have, you know, self-pity. And um, she found interpreting. Um, and, and, you know, even though at this point, you know, she was completely blind, she became, you know, not only an interpreter, but she became an, outs- you know, an outstanding interpreter. She won several awards. Um, she's able to do long consecutive without taking notes, with, which is quite impressive, um, you know, for, you know, long consecutive, you know, uh, being, you know, even being able to see and being able to write. No, it, it's difficult. To, it's very difficult, even for somebody who can see. I can't imagine, you know, doing that and just not being able to see at all. Um, it's quite impressive how far she'd gotten, you know, and, and, you know, she said, instead of telling myself, oh, I can't do this. I can't see like everyone else. You know, she, she, she shifted her mindset and she said, it's true. I can't see like everybody else can see, but I will find a way to accomplish the same thing. And I was just so, so inspired by her. And and that is the first time it kind of clicked that, no, it, it's not volunteer work. It is a profession. And, and I think that is, and that is a mis, you know, and, and, you know, I think that is why medical interpreting is not a prestigious job. Um, a lot of these, um, a lot of people want to pay you peanuts um, for for um, for medical interpretation. People think, oh, I can just get a sister, I can just get a relative, um, I can just get a bilingual staff, and and then that'll do. No, it, it is much much more complicated than that. It is much more complicated than that. Yes. Um, I also happened to stumble upon this YouTube um, this YouTube video um, of this um, woman. Her name is Lydia. I unfortunately, you know, she's from Slovakia, so I, I cannot pronounce her last name. But she taught herself like, like eight languages, and I was like completely blown away by her linguistic ability. Eight, she taught herself like seven, eight languages, and she became a conference interpreter. And seeing her professionalism, you know, again that oh, this is a, this is such a great profession. You know, um, I remember thinking, you know, I. I, I, yes, I have this deep love of, you know, for, for languages, but I, I don't want to teach. I, I just didn't feel it. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't feeling it. And so in my mind, I was like, well, interpreting translation, I can't think of anything else that I could do with linguistics. Um, and so my very last semester of college, I very impulsively applied to a master's degree program. Um, and to my surprise, I got accepted and I graduated um, two years with a master's degree in interpretation and translation studies.
Wow. So you hear this story and and it's a it's a general story. They they do mention the personal aspects, right? Uh she brought in the personal aspect of obviously her ultimately becoming blind and then mm-hmm. her sight and then and then the chosen profession. Um there's always like this big moral of the story, if you will, right. like this. But but you did grasp or it, it created this curiosity in you potentially about the the profession which led you to do some research right yeah. right and so your 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 curiosity leads you to looking into it further absolutely you can see that it's much bigger than just like you mentioned bilingual family member or volunteer going to do something most definitely most definitely and then you look into the fact that there's a degree for it right i didn't think that right you know, I kind of thought like, you know, my freshman year of college, I thought, oh, maybe you get certified or I didn't actually truly realize there were, you know, there was a degree in, you know, conference interpreting degrees and translation studies. I, I just didn't, I just wasn't aware of that at that point. All these specialties, um, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, oftentimes people are like, well, why, why can't an, a relative interpret? Well, you know, I, I can, let me tell you, I can give a two hour lecture on why. Um. <laughs> You know, controlling a conversation is very challenging. Controlling a conversation is very, very difficult to control that conversation. You know, a lot of times when you, um, you know, when you open up YouTube and search, you know, oh, interpreting practices or consecutive practice, oftentimes what you find, you know, essentially what it does is it shows you interpreting what it would look like in a perfect world. And they'll be like, Hello, Mr. Garcia. What brings you into the clinic today? And then they pause for the interpreter. You know, and you know, it, it, real life interpreting is much. It's so much messier. It's so much messier. You, you know, you you meet people who are just very eager to find out what's wrong with them. People who are emotional about what just happened to them, and you know, to say, "Oh, please pause frequently." And I know that is something a lot of um, agencies want you to say. You know, there's like a oh my gosh, there's like a list of like twelve things as an introduction, you're supposed to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of those um, is, you know, please pause frequently um, for me in order to allow me to interpret everything accurately. And, and let me tell you, you know, just the other day I had, an ex- let me tell you, you know, the protocol is, you know, when somebody, when they speak for too long, you know, the protocol, you know, the textbook protocol um, is to say the interpreter would like to remind you to please pause with frequently in order for, in order to allow her to interpret everything accurately. That is the protocol. Let me tell you from personal experience, even though you remind people 1,700 times, people will still go on and on and on because they're eager to say what they want to say. They just are. Um, Interpreting in real life is just, you know, nothing that I learned in my master's program prepared me for the first assignment I had. Um, And it's not because I didn't have good professors, you know. On the contrary, you know, I think they were... Um, just, you know, every single one of them was very talented, you know, um, very, very bright people. Um, but, you know, doing it in real life and, and controlling that conversation is just so different. Um, you, you also need to be highly trained in medical terminology. And that comes with a lot of time, a lot of, you know, practice, a lot of studying. Um, you, you need to be trained in order how you need to know how to deal with certain ethical issues, for example, and I, I don't know why this is, but a lot of times um, in the Arab culture, um, when there is bad news, when something bad happens, people 
just will not tell you. They just won't tell you. They'll hide it from you because they don't want to hurt you. That that, that is just, you know, how a lot of I don't want to over general, you know, over generalize here, but that you know that is um, what I've seen um, from the Arab culture, and it wouldn't surprise me if I had an Arab patient say, "Oh, if the results are positive, don't interpret that part." That wouldn't surprise me. And you have to know how to deal with these very tricky, very tricky situations. You might have um, appointments that are very, um, very quick. Very, oh, this is just a simple follow up appointment, and it is a relatively easier assignment. Or you might have assignments that are incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, the situation in and itself is just horrific. People aren't trained to use an interpreter, which add, you know, which, which adds, you know, an extra layer of burden and things become, you know, extremely difficult. Or you might have an appointment in which, like I worked with a therapist who had been using um, interpreters for the past like 10 years. Um, and he knew really, really well the um, a lot of interpreting protocols and you know, occasionally you do meet those people who make your life easier, who know how your profession is. And and sometimes, you know, you have people that make your life easier. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, it, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, I'd like to go back to your uh, university studies, because I think mm-hmm. that is basically the premise of the conversation for today into uh, learning or getting an insight of what you learned in school versus what the real world was teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. So without necessarily needing to mention the school or anything like that, right. what were you learning in school? What were what was the the theoretical approach to interpreting? Because it sounds like it sounds like you got one thing and then of course you go in, out into the real world right, and, right. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you begin in community interpreting is what it sounds Correct. like. Correct. Correct. So what were you learning or just a general idea in your program? Yeah. So essentially what we would have um, uh, in the program um, I went to, essentially what we did is they had a bunch of pre-recording, uh, pre-recorded um, uh, interpreting practices, essentially. And it, it was n- not that much different than the, um, not that much different than your typical YouTube um, practices. Um, maybe the only difference is you're doing it in front of people and that might cause you to be a little nervous. Um, that that was about it. Um, I remember um, when I um, was first um, in the process of being hired um, for um, an agency and, you know, for reasons I'm not going to get into, I currently do not work for this agency. Um, but during the hiring process, what you had to do was to shadow a couple of times. Um, you know, for the first appointment, you were to observe um, an interpreter in action, right? And then the second session, you were to take over uh, completely, and you were going to be observed by an experienced interpreter. And nothing, let me tell you, nothing <laughs> prepared me for that first um for that first time I, I interpreted by myself in a medical situation. Um, and, you know, and any patient story I share has been, you know, skewed and, and changed a little bit for confidentiality reasons. Cause you know, I don't want anybody to be identified or uh, I'm, I, I do not want to give, um, I'm not going to give, you know, personal private information or anything like that. Um, so um, essentially, so we're going to say that we had a couple, right. And this couple insisted that their child, they kept saying that their child needed to be seen urgently. Now, they, they needed to see be, be seen by a doctor. And the staff, you know, the secretaries were like, um, sir, ma'am, this is a clinic. You know, th- there are no 
doctors, nurses available to see your child at the moment. If this is an emergency, please go to the emergency room. Please go to, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, critical care. But right now we, we cannot, you know, th there are no doctors available. And they got so angry. They started, you know, raising their voice, saying how the American healthcare system was stupid, how her child could not go without his medicine. That's, you know, if something bad happens to her child, it's their fault. Um, and when I interpreted, you know, when I interpreted this back to them, these staff got really, you know, they got increasingly frustrated and they looked at me and they were like, again, there are no doctors available to see your child. And, you know, it was this back and forth. And I just remember turning red, you know, I, I got caught in a crossfire and, I, I was shaking and I, and I, I've, I'd never been in that situation before. I hadn't, um, nothing, you know, people were talking over each other. People were angry. Um, you know, I, I got through it miraculously, but it was, um, it, it was, it was definitely, you know, it wasn't miraculous. It wasn't smooth. Um, I was, you know, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing ever prepared me. It was, it was quite literally like, you know, I mean, it was like a slap across the face. I was just in shock. Um, the, um, these patients happen to be very unfriendly, um, very not patient. Um, you know, if I were, for example, to ask for clarification, when I asked for clarification, um, the, the patient said a, a word and I wasn't 100% sure what it meant. Um, yeah, she said something and I wasn't quite sure what this word meant. And, and, you know, when I asked her, it was this like, it was, you know, it was like, you know, it was this high amount of judgment, you know, both by, you know, the staff and the patient. And it was just a horrible, horrible situation um, that it just put me in a very, very difficult circumstance. I want to clear up the fact that um, Razan is is fairly new in the uh, in the industry. And by that, mm -hmm. I mean that yeah. you you graduated and then are have been in the field working out in the field professionally mm -hmm. for at least two years now, correct? Since 2020. Since 2020. And so yeah. you start in the midst of of essentially what's the pandemic, right? Right, right? right. And and so many, many of these assignments were they over the phone or um um VRI, excuse me, or both? Yeah. So um, the the um, the first well the first um, assignment I had um, was for um, I, I had to drive um, to this appointment, so it was on site, um, and we do, we did all have masks, um, and, and this was during the midst of the um, pandemic. Um, but now I my my work is now mostly virtual. Um, occasionally I'll get on site, but my work is mostly ninety five percent virtual. And the only reason I highlight that is is because number one the the topic of today's show or episode is, is indeed trying to highlight what you mm -hmm. as students, when you're coming out into the field are experiencing what, what that feeling is for you as a professional and how you are basically overcoming a lot of these challenges that you encounter mm -hmm. on your own, because right. when you're in a classroom setting or when you're in, in the university and going through this, you have a support team, if you will, of potentially mm -hmm. other classmates or the professor mm -hmm. themselves. And you right. go back and you ask questions. How do I this? How do I that? But right. when you are, are out in the field, essentially in the beginning, you're you're out there on your own, especially oh, most definitely. Moment, right. Especially most definitely. Most definitely. You know, my professor would always say interpreting is a very lonely profession. Right. You know, even though you have a booth mate, even though you have a colleague, you know, at the end of the day, 
you're on your own to, you know, you have to make these decisions on your own. You know, you can't, you know, tap your colleague's shoulder during, you know, in the middle of simultaneous and say, how do you say, da, 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 right? You're on your own. You, you really are. Um, now you can have support in the sense of, you know, you can meet with your colleagues, you know, express your feelings. What would you do in this situation? So yeah, yeah support does exist. You're absolutely right. But at the end of the day, you are alone. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to learn to navigate these things uh, on the spot and mm-hmm. on your own, like you say. Would you, now that you've experienced the education aspect, right? The learning of it, experience the in-person as things began to open up and things sort of returned back to normal. Mm -hmm. Would you say that there is this need to educate others on how to work with an interpreter and being able to communicate with their limited English proficient or other language speaking clients. And would you, would you say it's a combination maybe of those things, as opposed to everything we learned doesn't apply in, in real life, or could it be that people simply don't understand the nature of, of communication through an interpreter? That, that, that is such a good question. That is such a good question. You know, I, I'm not, you know, making the claim that theory isn't important. Of course it is. You know, it's kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a strange analogy here, but this does relate, I promise. So I can sit here all day, all day for years and explain to you how to ride a bike. I can, you know, I can explain to you the do's and don'ts be on this side of the road. Don't be here. And of course that is important. Of course you need to know these things. Um, But at the end of the day, you can't learn to ride a bike by sitting, by me sitting here describing it to you or teaching. You you can't learn experience through not physically doing something. Does does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you know, you, you can't ride a bike if you don't physically sit on it. And it sounds obvious, right? But, you know, you're going to have to physically get on that bike and, and fall a couple of times and it's going to hurt a couple of times, but then you get back up and you do it again anyways. Right. So, yes, theory is important, but you have to apply what you know. Nothing replaces, you know, doing it in real life. Um, and I think, you know, most people don't know how to use interpreters. You know, occasionally you'll you'll get that pleasant surprise of somebody who is educated on your uh, on your profession, or, you know, about your profession. Um, and they know a lot about interpreting, even though they're they're not an interpreter. Um, and, and unfor- you know, unfortunately, you get people who just make your life so hard. They, 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 they make your job just so, so difficult. Like I was interpreting um, for a doctor and he, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, you know, when I was being trained to work for a couple of agencies, one of the things they would teach is to have a signal. So you talk, they talk, they talk, they talk, and then you have a signal and a very common one is to stick out your hand kind of like in a stop fashion. Um, and I remember, you know, I, I think it was the second or third time I, I've interpreted. And I remember doing that and the doctor didn't stop talking. And I was kind of surprised. I'm like, why aren't they stopping? And I, and I was like, okay, just start. And I, when I started interpreting, she was still talking and we were talking over each other. And and that, that was something I, I never expected, you know, as silly as it sounds, I, I never expected that, you know, it's not neat, nice and, and neat. And it's not like you signal them to stop and then they stop. They want to finish what they're saying. And, you, and, and hypothetically, even if you do interrupt them, you make them lose their train of thought. Like I've had an experience where I interrupted somebody and it worked. They stopped talking, but when they were to continue, they're like, "Never mind, I forgot what I was going to say." Um, and that it, it just made me sad that I, I made her, um, I, I made her lose her train. I made her forget what she was wanting to say to the patient. And, and I do not necessarily think that is a 
um, that that is a good thing. Um, you know, if, if a lot of agencies, you know, again, they have like 12 things they want you to say. People aren't going to remember all that. They're not, you know, they're not going to remember all that. Um, even though you remind them, they, they're they still not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can and, definitely yeah. see the, the difficulties with, um, you know, not it showing up at the moment and giving a list of things of the to do's and not to do's someone right. and expecting this individual to memorize it. But from experience, I can tell you that the more exposed they are to the information, even if it's repetitive, let's mm-hmm. say today they work with you, Razan, tomorrow right. they work with me and they hear the same message. The next day they work with someone else and they hear the same message. It takes time for people to learn these these concepts on how to work with an interpreter. And short of being able to give them a mini workshop, <laughs> this right, is our right. way of basically right introducing them to the profession and how to be able to work with us. Right, right. But I, I do I do absolutely understand um, the need to basically bring in this notion, like you mentioned earlier, um, of letting students know as they're going through the training, you know, this is, this is best case scenario, you're going right. to have individuals, right. right? So it's the, it's the tech, getting the technique down, right. but then understanding like, okay, but in the real world, that's not what Absolutely. no one's going to want Absolutely. to pause for you. No one's going Absolutely. to speak in this rate of speech that you are able to capture it all. No one right. really right. speaks like that. And then if you get somebody that doesn't like public speaking or is in a rush or forget mm. that adds to the difficulties. Mm. Right. So, right. Right. So Most yeah, definitely. I can, I can absolutely see the, some of these missing links in, in terms of getting the training. I'm curious to find out when we, mm. when we talk about issues in the industry and things that we could change because, you know, we, we, we could pose the problems all day long right? Right. in which in essence is complaining Right, but, right, right. But we could also potentially offer solutions to the people that are maybe even creating the programs. Razan, if you were given the platform mm-hmm. by yeah. by a university to to give them feedback as to how they can improve um their their program so that it would be a bit more fitting to the real world scenario. Right, right. What would you offer to them? What would you say so that that could be embedded within the program for future students of, of TNI? Yes. So um there's this really nice quote from Mulan. And I remember her saying, um, and, and I heard this a very long time ago, it was something along the lines of you need to be firm, very firm yet gentle. Right. You need to, you know, often what I hear and, you know, unfortunately, what is very commonly said is I'm just the interpreter. And, and, you know, we need to, you know, you know, the the problem need, I I don't want to say, you you know, we need to, you know, if if you want to solve a problem, it it needs to start within. We need to start valuing ourselves as professionals. We need to begin to see ourselves as professionals. Right. And we need to demand that we're, um, you know, payment wise, that we're paid what we're worth, that we're looked at, you know, how we're deserve how we deserve to be looked at in society. Um, and, and, you know, my professor would always say, you know, being a simultaneous interpreter, being an interpreter is, is just as complicated as being a surgeon. That that is what he said. Um, I remember him saying, you know, if you were to measure the, you know, their their attention level, the attention level of the interpreter is just as sharp. Mm-hmm. Like so this. no, it's not. I am just the interpreter. I am an interpreter, and I'm proud of it. 
Mm-hmm. My job is not easy. It is very difficult. Um, and it is just as difficult as, you know, a, a doctor's job. And we need to carry ourselves as such. And we need, you're right. We don't want to just sit there and complain and say, you know, boo hoo, people look at us this way. You know, we need to start treating ourselves the way we want other people to treat us. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of recommending something to the universities or educational programs that are teaching TNI, what would be that one thing you'd like to mm-hmm. be able to offer change? If you could change something in the industry, what would it be? I would say to teach anticipation. This is so, so important. Anticipation, anticipation, anticipation. You know, again, obviously nothing, you know, replaces the experience of, you know, nothing, you know, replaces real life, but hearing these stories and hearing other interpreters experience, it reduces that shock a little bit. You you know, when you go in with the mindset, and I wish I can go back two years and tell myself this, not every interpreting experience, not every interpreting session is going to be wonderful and beautiful and smooth. It's not, and that that is reality. Even the absolute best interpreters in the world with the best reputations, let me tell you, have really, really strong renditions, and then they have weaker renditions, perhaps not so good renditions. You know, as interpreter, and I know I'm stating the obvious here, we can't, you know, predict the future and, and, you know, know what people are, you know, what things, you know, what things they're about to say. We don't know what's about to come out of their mouth. You know, we can prepare. You know, sometimes we do get PowerPoints. Um, we might receive limited information about the patient, for example. But at the end of the day, you don't know how this session is going to go. You don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's saying, you know, and I remember um, a UN interpreter. Um, her name is um, Caddy Kaufman. Um, don't quote me on that. It might not be Caddy uh, Kaufman. I think this was actually, um, I think her name is actually um, Ann Ford. You know, she said, no matter how good of an interpreter you are, at the end of the day, you show up and you do the absolute best you can. You know, unfortunately, as interpreters, sometimes we just get thrown curveballs. Maybe a speaker says, you know, they, they're telling you what city they're from and you've never heard of the city and it just whizzes right by you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, things take a turn and sometimes these speakers start bringing up things you aren't really familiar with. Um, you know, and, and remaining calm is probably one of the most important things is, is not to panic. But we can't control these things. You know, sometimes... Um, if you're doing, um, I'm going to bring, you know, for for example, in simultaneous, sometimes the speaker might be talking about something that you're very familiar with, something that you're very passionate about, um, and you find yourself vibing with the speaker and agreeing with them, and you're like, oh, this is amazing, and, and you find yourself get really getting into it, um, and then sometimes you don't have that experience. Sometimes it's, you know, a very rough, you know, it's a, you know, a, a very bumpy road. Sometimes, you know, sometimes afterwards you're exhausted, you don't know how you got through it. Um, sometimes the terminology might be extremely difficult thing, you know, we get thrown curveballs all the time and, 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 you know, and it's anticipating, it's not about being perfect every single time. I don't believe there is perfection. I don't think perfection exists in um, interpretation. So it's not about having the most beautiful interpretation every single time. It's about showing up and doing the absolute best you can at that moment. And, you know, again, no matter how good you are, human error happens. You know, your your mind, your brain is literally a muscle. You know, it doesn't matter how fit you are physically. You know, it doesn't matter if you're an Olympian athlete. If you you can only run for so long before your body begins to feel fatigued, and before it begins to say, "Stop, you're overexerting me." You're, same thing with the brain. When you overexert it for a long period of time, it begins to get tired, and human error might happen. I love that you mentioned vibing with the speaker because Mm -hmm. I definitely am one to, I've used that 
phrase before because I yeah. do feel that there are speakers that um, I just instantly make this connection with. Right, I don't right. know what it is, but I've, right. I I am on the same frequency, I feel. And then there's those that no matter how hard I try, it just does not happen for whatever mm, reason. Right, it just right. does not happen. And and those tend to be the difficult um, and the difficult assignments or the difficult, uh, encounters, but almost oh, um, definitely. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned some excellent things. I, I definitely do, do believe that there is, uh, you know, the difference between being able to communicate our needs as a professional, which if we look at other individuals and other professions that in essence is what they do is having the assertiveness, um, right. which is different from uh, aggressive, right? These oh, mo- yes. styles, you, know, you don't yes. come in and, and, and sound defensive. Of course. Come in assertive, uh, like you mentioned, at like a professional. This, you know, we, we are working with interpreters. Um, and one thing I encourage, even in the use of our words, with regards to our profession is rather than, than stating, and I, and I do not take credit for this phrase because this Mm -hmm. phrase is something that I heard or read from someone else. Mm -hmm. And I, and I completely absorbed it and, and have since utilized this phrase is rather than saying you use an interpreter, like you use a pen or use, you know, something to write with or, or tools Rather, because we are professionals and we're trying to to let everyone else know that you work with an interpreter. And so even just mm. in the way in which right. we speak about ourselves right. actually right. makes right. a difference the way we present ourselves right. when we right. come into this assignment. So this is yeah. all great stuff. I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to speak with you that likewise uh, we share the 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 experiences of someone that that is young in the profession in the sense of being able to <laughs> right being able to get out of schooling and and immediately start but identify a need i think it's important that we capture that in the beginning as opposed to later on and saying oh well now i have years of experience and i remember back when i first started no it's like you know this is still fresh and and you're able mm. to identify mm. a huge gap um, teaching anticipation. I think right. that that was key. I, I'm so right. happy that you mentioned that because that's mm-hmm. perhaps a practice that that we can do ourselves. But if it could be embedded in 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 a bigger way in teaching, would only make us better interpreters in terms of when we're out in the real world, being able to anticipate what the right, right, right. And, and you know, like you said, you don't want to be assertive to the point where you're like, okay, this is how it's going to go. And this is how it's going to be, period, end of story. Um, I've heard a lot of complaints. Um, I've heard a lot of, um, you know, in in interpreting school, I remember one of the complaints we heard from patients, one of the things brought up was that interpreters are too rigid, that they're too robotic. And, and, you know, obviously you don't want to go to that extreme, right? You you don't want to appear, you know, so rigid and so like unconsiderate of other people. Like, for example, um, if I were... Um, interpreting at a therapy session, for example. And, you know, if you finally had the courage to open up about something and you're like, you know, this is what I'm struggling with and I need help. And imagine, you know, in the middle of you talking, I just stick out my hand in front of you and and start interpreting. How would that make the person feel? You know, interpreting wise, does it help? Sure. Linguistically, does it help? Sure. But at the end of the day, 
you know, you, you don't want to be too rigid. Now, you, you also don't, you know, on the opposite side of that coin, you also don't want to be way too flexible and have people um, tell you how to do your job or let people push you around, you know. So, again, it's being firm, but flexible. Um, you know, I remember the one of the first assignments I had, I remember the doctor walked in, started, you know, hi, how you doing? I didn't even have a chance to give an introduction. He was like, hi, how you doing? And he looked at, let me tell you, he, he looked at me and, and was like, yeah, so so where is it hurting him? Is it his arm? It's his arm, right? Um, and, and so, and I remember saying, you know, I, I thought I was being a good interpreter. And this is what I, you know, they trained me. This, this is what I was trained to do, you know, textbook wise. Would you, um, the interpreter would like to remind you to please look at the patient and speak to them directly. And he looked so offended. You know, he, he just, he you know, he didn't say anything, but he he kind of, he kind of he, he just looked annoyed, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, you know, perhaps a better solution would be to maybe avoid eye contact, to encourage them to maybe look at the patient. So you're essentially trying to see the same thing, but in a gentler manner. Right. Gentler manner. I like that. Uh, I'd like to actually ask as well, um, for those that are just starting or that are still in school uh, in their program, in their TNI program, what would be a recommendation for them as they begin to make the transition from the theoretical into the practical and finding finding assignments? Um, what would be a recommendation? Before you answer that, I would actually mm-hmm. like to highlight that interpreting has different specializations. And, of and course. The, the experiences that you are sharing right now is community interpreting and and some of these techniques that we are okay to utilize in these settings may not necessarily be transferable to other settings, like say, for instance, in court, right? Mm. If you're doing court interpreting or if you are in, in a booth and, and simultaneous and conference interpreting, things like that. So it's very unique to community interpreting. So I just want to make sure that I'm highlighting that aspect as well, because we're sharing experiences that may potentially not be something that is okay in a different setting. So just, of course, of you know, course. just as a disclaimer, sort of. Right, sort of right, right. I'll make and sure of course. I highlight that. But aside from that, Razan, what would be a recommendation that you would give to those that are, are about to step into the real world? Well, my biggest advice would, t- would um, be know how to say no. <laughs> when you get a job offer, um, especially if you're freelance, and that is, again, disclaimer, assuming you are freelance, um, is the ability to say no. And, and I know when you're, when you've, when you, when you've just, you know, when you're new to the profession, when you've just begun and we, when you get that first, first assignment, assignment, it, it's very exciting, you know, and you're like, oh, opportunity, grab it. But, you know, I, other opportunities will come, I promise. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, it, it can be very exciting, but we also, you know, you also have to think in an objective, um, in, in a, I guess, mature, logical manner, you know, you have to say, do I qualify for this job? Right. Do I qualify? Am I the right person? Right. And am I emotionally, mentally capable? Uh, Of course, things sometimes, you know, things take a turn and things get emotional when you don't expect them to. So some of these things you can't help, but it's being able to say, you know what, I'm not too, you know, because, you know, if you accept an assignment, you're not quite qualified for you're going to end up, you know, spending long hours, long nights, really long nights reading up on an industry you know nothing about. It's going to, it's going to be miserable. 
it's going to be miserable. So knowing how to say, I specialize in this. I'm not sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, I I currently um, do not specialize in this topic. However, I can refer you to my colleague, so-and-so. Know how to say no. Yeah. Which is another actually great point that you make in terms of uh, networking, correct? Of course. You want to network in order to have colleagues that you know do specialize in certain things, potentially even languages that may be needed. Unless you're out there networking and creating these connections, then you're not going to not be able to even offer that client a solution. You're just going to have to say no. How much better would you look if you'd be able to say, I don't specialize in that area. However, Mm -hmm. recommend someone that does. And now, you know, you, you, you've said no, you've taken yourself out of that, but you've offered a solution for them that they're going to be ever so grateful for. So networking, would you say? Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you want to accept assignments that you truly enjoy. You just want, you don't want to keep saying yes to assignments just because they've been offered it, you know, that just because they've offered it to you, you know, you can say, you know, I wish you the best of luck. However, that rate um, does not suit my needs at this time. Um, so it's being able to say, I- I'm sorry, I-, I will not accept that rate. Um, here's my bare minimum. Um, and, and, you know, I- I've heard a translator, I think she was a, tra- I, th- I think she's a translator. And she said, do not say, and this is negotiable. Because a lot of interpreters, a lot of translators try to lure people in by saying, and and I and I am flexible and I'm negotiable. No, no, this is my minimum. This is the amount. This is the least I'm willing to accept because I need to pay my bills. Right? <laughs> I can't I can't accept a ridiculous. Oh, I don't know. Like you shouldn't accept a ridiculous ten dollars an hour, twelve dollars. Some you'd be surprised. Some people will offer you prices rates right. that are ridiculously low because they're cheap. Or you know, this is this is what I what I'm worth because right. I put in the time and the training and the schooling and everything else. So, I mean, not that, of course, we don't need to share any of that. Right. <laughs> it's simply, it is what it is. But, but definitely, I think that that a lot of times we don't consider the fact that we've gone through all these other things, those late nights, the studying, the ensuring that we got good grades, even all of those things took time. Uh, And so being able to ensure that we include that when we're thinking about the pricing and not being flexible, like you say, in that sense, why budge to something that does not match the time and effort and training and all of the above that you've put in. So right, right. great advice, right. great advice, Razan. Anything else that you would like to share in the interpreting industry as a whole to the community? Anything that you would like to uh, mention before we conclude today's episode? Yeah, yeah. Interpreting is, let me tell you, such a beautiful profession. You know, we, we learn not only about linguistics and, you know, I, I'm not learning only about Spanish and in words, you know, every single day I learn something new about medicine, about laws. And I think um, it was Caddy Coffin that said, you know, we're like flies on the wall. We get to see a little bit of everything. We get to be in a courtroom. We get, we get to be in medicine. And every single time I walk, you know, and I interpret for a patient or a lawyer or whatever it happens to be that day, I walk out and I'm humbled. You know, I can't, you know, th- there's not a day that goes by that I don't learn something new. And being an interpreter taught me how little I know about the world. You know, and the more I learn about these things, the more I realize how much I really don't know. Um, and and that is the beauty of interpreting. You know, you learn about politics, economy, 
the, the list goes on and on. It's such a beautiful profession. Thank you so much, Razan. I really appreciate the fact that uh, you came on the show to share your story. Lastly, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so uh, my Instagram is um, literally my name, um, Razan Rumani. Um, please feel free to, to follow me on, on Instagram and I, I'd be happy to connect. Thank you so much, Razan. I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. It was such a treat being here. I, I truly enjoyed this conversation. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.